Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It, oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I'm your host, W.J. Sheehan. Hello, everybody. Thank you once again for joining my brother and I for what is going to be a great podcast. My name is W.J. Sheehan, author of the series Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters, nine volumes to date, all available in paperback and ebook at Amazon. So please grab a copy. And by the way, my latest book is out, UFO. Sightings and Encounters, Volume 1, by W.J. Sheehan. So please go out and get a copy. You will not be disappointed. And by the way, when you go on Amazon looking for that, type it in the way I said it. UFO, Sightings and Encounters, Volume 1, W.J. Sheehan. And, of course, Audible volumes of eight of the Bigfoot books are available at Audible, iTunes, and Amazon as well. So please... Partake of them. And now, my brother and co-host, KJ Sheehan. Kev, how are you? I'm doing all right. How about you, Bill? Okay, we're in the rain today, and we're on the edge of some type of winter storm cruising over Connecticut and Jersey and wherever else it's cruising. I think we're going to get the, oh, tail, yeah. the tail end of it later a little bit. That storm came from down here, and in fact, it's still down here. We're not getting any snow or anything, but we had the wildest thunderstorms last night, and we still have super high winds, and it's about 40 degrees and raining. Great. <laughs> yeah, perfect day. <laughs> A good day to get the creep on. <laughs> and we like the creep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, so... Let's dig into it, brother. What do we got in our uh, cryptids in the news and other oddities segment today? Well, let's hope it's a good day for pronunciation, too, because I picked the hard <laughs> one today. Okay. <laughs> this, this cryptid creature is known as Makele Mbembe. Nice. Yeah. So have you heard of this beast? I have not, and I hopefully I won't run into it. Yeah, <laughs> so it... It's been around for quite some time, uh -huh. um, but it's not in your neighborhood. It's over in the Congo River Basin in Africa. Okay. And if you translate um, Makale Mbembe, it translates into one who stops the flow of rivers. Wow, that's interesting. I do remember we had that one strange creature... With the stomach, uh, the mouth in the stomach. Oh, yeah, that was that? in Brazil. That was oh, in Brazil. That was I forget what he was called, but that's that, that guy's all over the place. 
you know. <laughs> as long as he's not on Long Island, I'm not concerned. <laughs> I mean, the stories of him are all over the place. <laughs> I, I don't think he's in your backyard, but you may not want to look out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was cited eating striped bass at Shinnecock Inlet. <laughs> <laughs> but this beast is a quadrupedal herbivore with smooth skin and a long neck and some people describe it as having a large single tooth or tusk or it might be a horn so if that description doesn't do it for you think about like a brontosaurus uh, from the dinosaur days and I learned when I was researching this Bill you and I grew up learning it as a brontosaurus but it's now called an apatosaurus. And the logic goes that an apatosaurus came first. So go figure. For you and I, the brontosaurus came first, but apparently <laughs> in history, the apatosaurus came first. Right. So they say. Yeah, exactly. And if you don't know out there, folks, what a brontosaurus looks like or what an apatosaurus looks like, think about a much larger version of Dino from the Flintstones. Yeah, much longer. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I should just call him Dino from now on. It would be easier to pronounce. Yeah, then Matele Matumbo, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Michele Mbembe. Oh, there you go. Now I got it. Michele Mbembe. Not the basketball player. Yeah, we'll just, we'll just call him the River Stopper for short. River Stopper. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So the stories have been around forever with this beast. And, um, you know, walk these the stories of these dinosaurs, basically, that are living, walking around the African rainforest are not that rare when you're down in the rainforest of Africa. So there's been lots of different tales of these large, smooth-skinned quadrupeds with a very long neck um, and that they still, you know, kind of go after large prey in the rainforest in Africa. Now, this thing uh, they said was an herbivore or are we talking about the brontosaurus? No, no, they say it's an herbivore, but they also talk about it hunting large prey. So I don't know what it is. Yeah. You know, this is not the first time I've heard of supposed dinosaur-type creatures uh, in in the jungles. But, of course, uh, everybody would argue in this day and age that, you know, why aren't we seeing them, you know? Yep. Uh, But... I don't know. I'm not there, you know, and certainly the indigenous people living in these forests know a lot more about what goes on there than we do. Yep. So listen to this first description that I came across in the, from the 20th century. Uh, the, and it was uh, given in 1909, and it appeared in the autobi- autobiography of famed big game hunter Carl Hagenbeck. And he claimed to have heard from two independent sources about a creature living in Rhodesia, or what's now known as modern-day Zimbabwe. And when when it was described to them by natives as half-elephant and half-dragon. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that would kind of make sense, because they were trying to describe this large body. 
But yep. then probably some type of extended neck and or tail, which the dragon would bring in. Yeah, especially if it had this big tooth or horn or tusk, too. Yeah, that's freaky, man. Yep. And, and then another uh, uh, source that Hagenbach had, Hans Schomburg, he asserted that while he lived in Lake Bangwalulu, I told you this was going to be a hard one for pronunciation. Yep. yep. He noted that there weren't any hippopotami, and his native guides informed him of a large hippo-killing creature that lived in Lake Bangwalulu. Um, and, and you know, he he never saw it. Schomburg never saw it, and he just didn't know if that was true or what, but he did report on it. You know, it's uh, interesting, though, if there was something that could kill a hippo in the river. Mm. I mean, that would be some type of formidable creature. I mean, hippos are not to be trifled with, you know? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people think they're like these gentle giants, but they're... Uh they're responsible for many deaths of humans. You know, you could be going along in your boat in Africa and these hippos come up from below you, kind of like a great white shark, and yeah. just crush the boat and then kill you. Yeah, they are uh, nasty buggers, you know. So, uh, yeah. you know, again, Kev, here we go back to animals like uh, champ, um, uh, you know, these plesiosaur-type beasts swimming around yeah. now. I don't think a plesiosaur could take a hippo, but what what could is beyond me, you know, and there's a lot of stuff out there that we don't know about. You think about just hiking through these jungles. You know, you have a group or a little caravan going somewhere looking for something. They're just hacking out one little line of a trail enveloped in green and trees and branches, you can't see much of anything the entire time. Yep. So, I mean, even if man was in a location, the chances of you seeing anything, making a racket, hiking along with machetes and everything else, are like slim and none. Yep. So, uh, uh, that's weird, man. Yeah, and there's another description of the creature that comes in a book by Willie Lay, and the book's called The Lungfish and the Unicorn in 1941, and it's about um, uh, um, Ludwig von Stein, Ludwig Freier von Stein, who was a German captain, and he was ordered to conduct a survey of the German colonies in what we now call Cameroon, and this was in 1913. Mm-hmm. And he heard stories of an enormous reptile by that name, <laughs> River yeah. Stopper. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> alleged to live in the jungles, and it included and he included a description in his official report. And uh, according to Lay, this author, von Stein worded his report with utmost caution, knowing it might be seen as unbelievable. Hmm. Nonetheless, von Stein thought the tales were very credible, and he trusted the native guides had related the tales to him on a truthful basis, and he heard them from multiple independent sources while he was down there in Cameroon. You know, and all of these guys that we're speaking of here, they all sound like they're of German ancestry based on their names. Yeah. Uh, They were very, uh, even uh, Hitler... And his henchmen were snooping around for the sword of destiny and 
they 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 have a a, a rooted belief in and and a, a desire to hunt down uh, the strange and the bizarre, you know. So they're kind of really no nonsense characters, you know what I mean, Kev? Oh yeah, yeah. But this was also in the German colonies, so that's why you know yeah. we see all these German names. And, so and- so von Stein he described it. He's got a pretty detailed description here that I want to run through. He said the animal is said to be of a brownish gray color with a smooth skin. It's the size of an elephant. And it's said to have a very long, flexible neck with only one tooth, but a very long one. Hmm. Some say it's a horn. Mm-hmm. A few spoke about a long, muscular tail like that of an alligator. Canoes coming near it are said to be doomed. The animal is said to attack the vessels at once and kill the, crew, kill the crews, but without eating the bodies. The creature is said to live in the caves that have been washed out by the river in the clay of its shores at the sharp bends of the river. It's said to climb the shores even during the daytime in search of food. Its diet is said to be entirely vegetable. This feature disagrees with a possible uh, explanation where, you know, they talk about it killing things. So yeah, that well, makes sense, right? Yeah, and and I'm thinking as you're talking, you know, a horn uh, can be used as an offensive or a defensive weapon. If you think of like a stegosaurus, right? Oh, yeah. They ate plants, but they swung that club-like tail to, they could kill things with it or defend themselves. Or defend themselves, yeah. I mean, and and look at, uh, we were talking about the hippo, you know. From what I understand, the hippos use those tusks inside their mouth or teeth inside their mouth. They'll come up underneath like a small boat and like chomp it and put holes in the boat with those uh, tusks or teeth or whatever they're called. Yeah, so this this thing is definitely capable with its horn or who knows, lashing with a tail, damaging yeah. a, and And they said it didn't eat the people that it, you know, knocked out of the boats and whatnot. It was just like destroying them or uh, trying to fend them out of its territory, you know? Yep. Kind of, yep. Kind of strange, very strange. Yeah, and thing. then, you know, getting into more recent times, in 2001, the BBC uh, had a broadcast going called Congo, and uh, they did some interviews down there in the Congo with a group of Bayaka pygmies who identified the Mokole Mbembe as a rhinoceros when they showed them pictures of other animals. So that's pretty interesting, right? So they had never seen a rhinoceros because there aren't any rhinoceros, rhinoceri or whatever they are in in the Congo. And um, then they think that maybe it's uh, some type of black rhinoceros, like a type of black rhinoceros that no longer exists down there, or maybe it still does exist down there, but we don't know of it existing down there. Right, but initially in, what was it, 41 or 1913, yeah. they identified it with a long neck, the body of a elephant exactly. and a exactly. long neck. Yeah, uh, it doesn't tie off directly, for sure. Right, right. So you got a couple it, of things going on here, a couple of... Uh, different identifications going on by different peoples. Exactly. And uh, spanning a long period of time, though. Oh, yeah. 100 100 plus years. Yeah. Wow. That is freaking bizarre. 
And that's that's not even going back to all of the legends, you know, with the locals, right? This is just when when the white man, so to speak, showed up there and started asking questions. Well, like they say, what is smoked is fire. So if you get if you get enough legends uh, from different peoples and different groups spanning, who knows, hundreds of years, it, there's got to be some truth in there. Like, not all of these people know each other or share information, you know. Right. Uh, you have these little clans and tribes here and there, and maybe they didn't travel all that much. Uh, right. You know, they've seen something. I, I, You know, I just it's like with the Wendigo. Or the shapeshifters, uh, uh, the Bigfoot with all the different uh, indigenous tribes in North America. Uh, all of these people didn't break bread together and know each other. So, you know, it's it's almost more hard to believe that there isn't something going on than there is when people are sharing similar uh, sightings and encounters. You know, it's a weird thing. Yeah, and I think, you know, with some of these creatures, these legendary creature, creatures, legendary cryptids, uh, like, uh, you know, Michele, uh, Michele Mbembe, easy for me to say, uh-huh. um, you know, some of them, when they come from Europe and stuff like that, you know, you, you always, or I always think back, maybe it was a legend to keep the kids from going out into the forest, you know what I mean? Just to yep. scare them a little bit. But this one here, something like this, that doesn't really fit the bill. Even if you were living in the Congo, I don't think you'd talk about this giant dinosaur herbivore to scare kids, for example. It seems like there's something else there. Yeah, and you know, when we talk about scaring kids in the jungle, I think it's enough just training them about the (laughs) poisonous snakes, jaguars, you know, whatever else was really there if these things were Yeah, the ridiculous insects that are there, right? Yeah, Yeah, spiders. You don't have to make up legends. Yeah, there's enough stuff to kill you there uh, without trying to scare you about anything else, you know? Yeah. Hey, don't go out at night and that boa constrictor's going to drag you away again. Yeah, man, that's the, that's nasty business in the jungle, man. Oh, man, I can't wow. imagine. Yeah, well. I, I mean, can't imagine. So, Bill, that is the Michele Mbembe. Wow, that is a crazy uh, crypt, cryptoid account. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We had to dig in the Congo River Basin to find him. Yeah. Well, I won't be going there anytime soon, so. Uh, yeah, me neither. <laughs> Folks out there, if you're planning to go to the Congo River Basin, please let us know what you encounter when you're down there. Yeah, or if you've been there recently and you've seen seen the Mkale Mbembe, definitely send us a couple of photos and and video, even if it's shaky. Yeah. (laughs) Unbelievable. Now, I got something here that's really... uh, Well, we'll talk about this when we're done because I think this was... The first one uh, that I had put to paper uh, relative to sighting Bigfoot fighting. Oh. And, yeah, you're going to, when I'm done here, this is going to open up a little can of worms for discussion with some other things we've talked about, and you'll see why. So this is a, a sighting that was recounted to me by Marilyn Sorensen, uh, a resident of Montana, 
And uh, here are the details of uh, Marilyn's testimony. In case you've never been in my home state, Bill, you should know that there are a ridiculous amount of gorgeous hiking venues. In the past 17 years or so, I've been on more than a few of them. It's very fine country, and I belong to an informal group or club of hikers. We have no name. We're simply people of like mind and spirit who enjoy hiking and taking in all that nature has to offer. It was a Thursday morning in early September when I and two of the ladies began the hike to Strawberry Lake. Now, just to give you a heads up about this area, the Strawberry Lake Trail Number 5 is about a six-mile hike in and out, ending near the Jewel Basin at Strawberry Lake. From there, you can then pick up on Alpine Trail Number 7 if you are an ambitious enough hiker who wants to extend your journey. So far as trails go, it's not a very long hike, and it's a multi-use trail, which means you can run into people on horseback or even mountain bikes. This particular trail has a fair amount of elevation change and quite a few switchbacks, and can be extremely narrow when you're walking along the hillsides. At points, the low brush on either side of the trail is literally rubbing against your legs, so shorts are not advisable. The trail ends at Strawberry Lake, and in my opinion, it's really nothing more than a large pond, but it's breathtaking nonetheless, and in season, many hikers go for a dip in the lake midway through their hike. The lake itself sits within a group of foothills. They're not large, but there are some surrounding mountains that reach about 5,000 feet. However, you don't deal with much elevation during the hike itself. There is visible bear scat throughout the entire hike, which of course means that there is an ample supply of bears, and all of the switchbacks and dense brush provide a perfect place to stumble upon something dangerous. Having said that, the denser and narrower areas of the trail are flanked by huge patches of huckleberries and raspberries, hence all the large bear population. The abundance of berries can also make for some great snacks for humans. On my previous trip, I had actually seen a bear eating some huckleberries, and when I told her to scoot, she ran like the wind. Bears really don't want anything to do with us. It's only when you startle them or come up on a sow with cubs that you can get into trouble. Thankfully, this has never happened to me or anyone that I know. When you're on this trail, you're typically hiking on the side of one hill, which means that you are looking at the sides of some other hills as you walk. So you're looking across like a little uh, uh, valley or something, so to speak. So as not to confuse you, the trail is not all dense underbrush. There are also some heavily forested areas with tightly packed stands of pines. 
In other locations, the view is comprised of patches of pines that grow here and there amid some twiggy reddish-brown undergrowth that covers the majority of the visible slopes. In these areas, the dark green contrast of the trees against the slopes is quite dramatic. In many spots on the trail, you walk into grand open vistas comprised of large sloping grassy hillsides descending to the bottom of a valley. There are wildflowers, and in my opinion, this is some of the most scenic country in the world. So we made it up to Strawberry Lake in a couple of hours, which included numerous stops to take in the views and get our fill of berries. One spot next to the lake is hard-packed dirt and some pea gravel mixed in. And although I would not call it a beach, we sat and rested there for about half an hour before we started heading back. At about the midway point of our return trek, an adjoining hill or mountainside came into view. And you could see it in your peripheral vision for quite a while as you're walking along. As I mentioned before, this area is comprised of patches of dark green pines amidst this reddish-brown undergrowth. And unless something was walking within the patches of trees themselves, it would stand out like a sore thumb against the lighter-colored undergrowth. Moments after we had rounded this bend that opens into the view I just described, my girlfriend pointed and said, Hey, you guys, look at that. About midway up, the slope of the opposite hill, we could clearly see three creatures. At first glance, I thought they were bears. But within seconds, I could tell that one was sitting and the other two were standing on two legs. They were very darkly colored, much darker than anything else in the landscape. Even though we were very far away from them, we all crouched down and kept still on the trail to remain unseen. We were sharing a small pair of Zeiss binoculars, but at this distance, they were of very little help. The binoculars being so small that they could fit in the palm of your hand. So we mostly had to rely on our naked eyes. As we watched them, we could see the two smaller ones wrestling. They would stand opposite each other before running towards each other to grapple. We could clearly see their arms extended towards each other, and they kept doing this, breaking and grappling and breaking and grappling over and over again. Every so often, they would take a break and go over to the larger one for a few minutes that was sitting. We all said that these had to be Bigfoot. There were two, these were two youths playing while their father or mother watched them. What else could it be? A father and two children dressed in gorilla suits in the middle of nowhere? No, that would be ridiculous. For the better part of an hour, we stayed and watched them before they got up and walked out of our field of view. 
When they started walking, we could finally see the larger one in all of its glory. It was at least three times larger than the two smaller ones. It was like the difference between an adult elk and a newborn calf in size. We just couldn't see any other details other than its very long arm length and a distinct swing that matched the very methodical and steady stride of its walk. It was clear that the bigger one took very long steps, pausing at times to allow the little ones to catch up, just as we would when walking with a small child. Remarkable it was to have the privilege to see this. I have personally seen well over 50 bears in my life, as well as innumerable elk, herds of bison, groups of wild horses. I've even come fairly close to a mountain lion, but this sighting really took the cake. It wasn't only seeing the Bigfoot that was exciting. We got to observe, apparently, some natural behavior. They were obviously a family out for a stroll and partaking in some playtime. You know, I didn't bother asking Marilyn for any additional details during this interview, but it was obvious uh, that the distance was too great for her to really see anything more, especially concerning like facial details and whatnot. So that's the account, Kev. Pretty incredible, huh? Very cool. Now, now, you said, did you say in the beginning that was in Eastern Washington? No, Montana. Oh, maybe it's close there because I remember a Strawberry Lake when I lived in uh, Eastern Eastern Washington. Well, I I can't answer to that. Perhaps yeah, she yeah, it was very small, and that's what she said too. Like she said, it was almost a pond, right? Yeah. So it and, may. Uh, it's been a long time since I put this on paper. It may yep. be it may be that she was just saying she was from. Montana, which had a lot of trails, and she was a member of. Well, Ike yeah, and I, I could be mixed up too, but you know, Eastern Washington, Northern Idaho, and Western Montana, they're all very close together there. You know, yeah. at the at the yeah. northern part of the country. Absolutely, but yeah. you know, so when I began this, uh, you remember when we were talking about the account of the fight, that famous account that I read periodically, where yeah. these two creatures came out and were slapping and grappling each other and biting each other. And yeah, it was the, a lot more violent than this, right? Yeah, but it reminded me that uh, I remember the guys that were fishing for muskies said they never hit each other with a closed fist. Hmm. They were slapping, and the one guy thought they were using the bite to gain an advantage. I mean, you have a creature this big that swats you with an open hand, you're in trouble anyway. Yeah, <laughs> well, it kind of makes sense. Like, I mean, are there other creatures other than humans that, you know, hit with a, a type of closed fist? Like, a one, I don't think gorillas do that. Yeah, I don't think so either. I think they yeah. bite. I think they, you're right, Kev. I think yeah, they so, probably bite and grab and... And whack you with their uh, hand, you know. Yeah. I yeah. mean, think about uh, a bear, too. You know, of course, they have claws, but they 
whack at their prey and then try to bite it, you know? Right, biting and swatting, right? So this was No doubt about it. She said they were watching for the better part of an hour, Mm. and it was like an exercise or playtime with the apparent adult sitting and, like, overseeing. It's really, it's it's quite remarkable to me, you know, the story is true. It's a remarkable account, yeah. And again, here we are in an area that she says is rife with bears and scat and berries. And, of course, many people say that if it can support a bear population, it can support a Bigfoot population. Yeah, yeah. And she mentioned uh, huckleberries. Have you ever had a huckleberry, Bill? I haven't. Good. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And we used to go to a place up there in northern Idaho, in Sandpoint, Idaho, only like for a month during the summertime, they would have huckleberry ice cream, homemade huckleberry ice cream. Wow. And uh, it was really good. <laughs> wow. And I have seen the bears out there in northern Idaho. Uh, we used to go to a couple of the ski resorts there in the summertime, and, you know, they'd open up the uh, gondola to take you up to the top in the summertime, you know, designed for skiing, but you could take a ride up. Sure. Kind of like we used to when we were kids up in New Hampshire, Bill. Yeah, I remember um, Loon Mountain. Loon Mountain, yeah. So we used to go to a couple of mountains up there, and one time we were getting off of the gondola, and the uh, lift operator was like, look over there. And we were looking at these bushes on the summit of the mountain, and there was a big bear with its butt sticking out of the bushes. And I was like, what is he eating? And they said, oh, they're eating huckleberries. It's like, oh, wow. they got good taste. Was that up <laughs> near uh, Priest Lake? Yeah, yep. Yeah, that's a creep story, huh? Yeah, it might have been Silver Mountain. I'm not sure which mount, which ski resort up there, but wow. yeah, right up in northern Idaho, north of uh, Coeur d'Alene. Okay, yeah, I mean, yeah. these stories, though, you know, again, I always say uh, people see something because they're looking. And, you know, when you're a hiker, or she's in a club, so she's with a group that regularly goes out, I mean, I can only imagine the trails and pathways that this group of women or men are, uh, are going down on their club meetings and their hikes. Right. Uh, and, of course, you're increasing your chances of seeing something every time you go out in these locations. I mean, this is not Times Square. This is like, you know, in the middle of nowhere where there just happens to be some animal trails. But you notice these trails were all labeled. She, she oh, called yeah, this yeah. Strawberry Lake Trail number five, so there must have been others. And then the uh, other trail, uh, Alpine Trail number seven. So these were marked trails in an area for people to go and follow some kind of little hand map. Uh, to help you not get oh, turned yeah. around. Oh, yeah, I mean, all those all those trails out in that part of the country, not all of them, but most of them are somehow, you know, maintained by one of the Forest Service, you know, either national or state, you know, or a local trail club, and they name them, and, you know, they typically have some type of trail guide. Of course, now a lot of them are online, and there's an app where you can look up the trails on your phone, and it's just, it's all designed for safety, you know, right, right. At so a lot of the trailheads, there's a little 
a book like inside of a wooden box where you write down, hey, KJ Sheehan went in, you know, on this date at three o'clock, you know. Uh-huh. And then if you ever go missing, somebody could say, oh, you know, I saw that name in uh, in the uh, Strawberry uh, Strawberry Lake trail book. Yeah. You know? No, well, it makes sense. It's a safety, uh, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. So there you have it, man. I mean, I thought that was a really interesting account that shed light. Repetition. You know, when you hear of repetition and habits and... Uh, 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 behavior uh, from different people in different parts of the country. They're describing things that, you know, look, I didn't see it in Idaho, but I saw it in Washington. Or I was in Northern California and you were in Oregon, and we both saw the same type of thing. So that creature to me didn't come from Northern California and go up to the uh, you know, the eastern expanse of Oregon, I don't believe. It was another creature doing a similar thing. I, just, I agree with you. You know. I mean, I love these accounts in that part of the country. You know, one, because I lived out there and did a lot of hiking and camping out there. And there's just so much wildlife. And not just wildlife, but big-ass wildlife. You know, yeah, yeah. grizzlies, cougars, you name it. They're there. Yeah, well, I I showed you that picture of uh, one of our listeners who sent me that photograph of that cinnamon bear that he took down with a bow. Yeah. You remember that a while ago? He forwarded me the picture. Yeah. And that bugger had to weigh, uh, geez, I don't know, 400, 500 pounds. Yeah. And uh, he's bow hunting, you know. Oh, yeah. He's brave hitting those grizzlies. Yeah, I give credit to these guys because, uh, I don't know, man, if you miss or this thing gets PO'd at you. Uh, you better have something more, like I say, uh, than a bow. <laughs> well, that's the uh, that's the old joke. I've probably shared it on this podcast, but out there they would say, "How can you tell grizzly scat from black bear scat when you come across it?" I have no idea. The grizzly scat is full of bear bells, <laughs> which are the bells hikers put on their feet to make noise to scare yeah. the bears away. Yeah, 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 that's the difference. Wow. Like, oh, Um, I I hear food. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, Thanks for letting me know you were there. Oh, very convenient. A dinner bell. Come on, kids. Unbelievable. Wow, man. Well, I told you, uh, it's always, you know, repetition, right? Uh, I told you what uh, Gary uh, Anderson had told me. I think it was his father-in-law. He got attacked by a grizzly. Uh, I think it was in Washington. He got one round off. uh, I think two rounds, and the thing still mauled him. And the the relative, I don't know if it was the, the nephew, whoever, got the third round off on it. Uh, and this guy was in the hospital for a month, and they had called Gary in at one point because they thought he wasn't going to make it. Yeah, uh, but he pulled through. But you know, well, and there's stories. I mean, folks can Google them. I know when I lived out there, where you know, once in a while there would be a death of a, of a hiker. You know that that would be reported from a grizzly, and I remember at least once, probably twice, while I lived there. 
that they would find someone dead with like a, you know, nine millimeter handgun next to them with an empty magazine. Wow. You know, yeah, so they uh, didn't have enough gun. Yeah. Uh, or, and I'm not being critical, by the way, or couldn't hit it in a fatal way before it hit them in a fatal way. Yeah, see. And this is why I like the shotgun, Kev. Because yeah. if you've got a pump-action 12-gauge and you're ratcheting off at the face and head of something charging you, uh, you're pretty much going to chew them up or blind them or both or anything else you can imagine of, and that's going to stop them. And that's why I like the AR-15 with 40-shot magazine of 556. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because if nothing else, I will get off 40 shots. <laughs> Just keep squeezing the trigger. <laughs> those are, and those are big bullets. Yeah, very nice. <laughs> very nice. <laughs> so that's it, bro. I mean, here we are into our listener mail. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> All right, we got a few cool letters this week, Bill. The first one is from Mike, and Mike says, Hi, guys. I came across this story today on YouTube and thought, Wow, this is right up Kevin's alley for something for the show. Check out the YouTube channel called Shrouded Hand and look for the story called The Sundown Clown Incident. Wow. And all I could say, Mike, is you had me at clown. <laughs> he says, this has all the creep that Kevin so loves. So check it out. And remember, always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Uh, it sounds like we're going to look into this, Kevin. Hey, I, I mean, you know anything about the sundown clown, and clown incident? Yeah, no, I've never heard of it, but... I don't know what it is about clowns that get people creeped out. You don't know what it is. They're creepy. Yeah. Remember, <laughs> you know, of course, the first thing that comes to my mind is Gacy. You remember Gacy, the serial killer? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, he was he was playing the clown. Oh, yeah. And then he had all of those bodies buried under his house and everything, you know, when they finally caught up to him. Yeah, nice. With the creep. Nice. You know, and then what was it? Stephen King had that novel they made the movie out of. Oh, it. yeah. It. With the <laughs> clown with fang teeth. Oh, yeah. He's gentle, though. Yeah. <laughs> but awesome, Mike. Thank you for the tip. I'm, uh, I, might, I might look at that right away after this podcast. <laughs> so stay tuned. And uh, speaking yeah. of creep. Uh-huh. We got a letter from Mary Beth in Oklahoma. Okay. And she says, hi, fellas. Hope you're both doing well. Even the other guy, whichever <laughs> one he is. <laughs> Love the podcast about the black eyed children and the haunted damn damn too. <laughs> Can't live without getting the creep on with you guys. Keep up the great work. Mary Beth. <laughs> An indiscriminate uh, greeting. The other guy and the other guy, too. Yeah, whoever that other guy whoever is. Whoever he is. Whichever one he is. 
<laughs> but yeah, I got to find a little more uh, info on the black eyed children because I just love those creatures. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Hello, sir. Can I borrow your telephone? <laughs> Nothing to worry about. I just want to come in and use your phone. You know, Kim, some some people uh, uh, comment, you know, ah, let's get back to the Bigfoot account. But, you know, according to the audience and the listener mail and ourselves, you know, people are interested in a variety of different things. Oh, no know. doubt about it. Yeah, And, and, and uh, it's fun. We, we cover both in the podcast. Yeah, of course. Even in the same podcast. Yeah. You know, it's rare that I do something creepy and you do something creepy that's not a hairy man encounter. Yeah. So, so well, hang really, in there yeah, and get I don't, the creep on. I don't have a lot of anything uh, except hairy man accounts and UFO encounters. Right. Uh, so that would be a rare oddity indeed. And hairy men in UFOs. <laughs> yeah. Let's be clear. Yeah, at the controls. <laughs> exactly. Like, uh, what was the guy in Star Wars? Chewbacca. What? what Chewbacca. Chewbacca. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Chewbacca. You know, my coworkers laugh when I tell them I've only seen the first uh, Star Wars movie. And you know who you saw that with? Were you there? You took me. Oh, okay. I went you with were... you and a couple of your friends at the Fox Theater up in yes! Setauket. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah, when that it first it. came out, that was like a big deal. I that was the first time I ever went to like the big movie theater. Really? Other than what mom and dad took me to our first my first movie. Wow. You remember that what they took me to? I uh, I'd have to say it was probably like Chitty Chitty Bang Bang or something. That was the second movie. Really? Good guess. Uh the Russians are coming. No. This is hysterical by the way. Go ahead. Blue Water White Death. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a, but you can look it up, folks. It's a documentary documentary about great white shark attacks. That was a movie. It yeah. was unrated because it was so violent. And my parents took me there when I was like five years old. Yeah, to the drive-in, right, Bill, the Smith Haven drive-in up there. Yeah, yeah. To see Blue Water White Death. It's a miracle that I love swimming in the ocean. <laughs> Wow, you know, I forgot about that. Blue Water, White Death. And that <laughs> was way water, before Jaws. Oh, way, way before. Yeah. And it was real. Like It was yeah, like, oh, was, my God. Yeah, that was a real documentary, early film footage. Like, we have so much of it now with, like, Shark Week on Discovery Channel. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but I used to tease uh, my kids. uh when they were little, that, oh, come on, you know, toughen up. The first movie mom and dad took me to was Blue Water, White Death. And <laughs> and I ended up Googling it and showing it to them on YouTube. Uh-huh. And they were like, yeah, I always thought, especially grandma was a little crazy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, our last letter, and this one refers to a recent podcast. It might even be the last one that we published. I didn't go back and look. But it's from... Get this, Bill. Tabitha from Massachusetts. <laughs> and you Tabitha, remember who Tabitha was, right? Oh, I do. Yeah. And she says, how about some more witch stories? Hey, KJ, maybe I am the one that brought you back to my room. You should not have run away. Sleep tight. 
<laughs> All I could say is, Tabitha, I hope you're kidding around. <laughs> and if you're not, I'm sorry, not sorry that I ran away. <laughs> you know, Kev, I was uh, telling somebody about that last night at work. <laughs> uh, you know, you going into that dorm room and seeing the pentagram with candles melted on the floor. Yeah. And I said to my I said to my coworker, I said, you know, that individual obviously had an agenda because you don't take somebody in and expose them to that unless you want them to see it. You know it's there. So uh who might knows have, might have turned me into a frog, Bill. I'm just saying, Kev, you don't want to... You, you know oh, what I'm believe me. That's why I ran out of there. She was beautiful. Yep. I was like, yep. I'm gone. Yep. See ya. See ya. I just realized I left my car running. Exactly. I left my car running. Uh, I have to feed my kitten uh, something. Yep. I got to go. Yeah, but I I'm not I trying to hurt your feelings. Yeah. I think I dropped <laughs> my wallet. Exactly. <laughs> It'll probably All take right. me. Well, that's that, <laughs> that's it, Bill. This week, good uh, good podcast, some great mail, and uh, a new cryptid for all of us to think about from the Congo. And folks, I just want to take a minute to thank you for all of those five star reviews. If you haven't left us a five star review lately, please do so right now. And if you want to leave us a little written five-star review, that's a bonus. And mm -hmm. these five-star reviews are virtually the only means that we have to attract new listeners to our podcast. And by getting new listeners, we're able to continually improve the quality of the podcast. So please leave us a five-star review today. Yeah, that's excellent, Kev. And remember, folks, if you should find yourself walking down the strawberry trail number five. And you run across a couple of Bigfoot or some piles of bear scat. You better remember just one thing. Always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight. Thank <laughs> you.